Hello, listeners. Welcome to the LSE Focal Point Podcast. I'm the host of this episode, Dean. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Murray Roos. Murray is the group head of capital markets at the London Stock Exchange Group and a member of the executive committee. He obtained his bachelor's degree in chemical engineering at the University of Cape Town, which he was a chemical engineer before he started his career in finance as a derivatives trader in South Africa. Over his career, he has developed extensive expertise in equities at prominent investment banks. During his time at Deutsche Bank, he has held numerous senior positions, including the EMEA Head of Equities, the Head of Emerging Market Equities, the Global Head of Prime Finance. From 2015 to 2020, Murray joined Citi, where he led Citi's global equity sales and trading, the multi-asset structuring group, and held positions of the co-head of equities and security services. In 2020, Murray joined ALSEC as the group head of capital markets and a member of the executive committee. He oversees the responsibility for ALSEC's global capital markets business across primary and secondary markets. Murray, how are you doing today? Very well, Dean. Thank you. Excellently. Great. And for starters, can you tell us a bit more about your role and responsibilities at LSCG? Well, at LSEG, I'm responsible for the capital markets division. So that is one of three business divisions we have here. And my division deals with the transaction businesses of the company. So that'll be things like the London Stock Exchange, Turquoise, which is our multilateral trading facility, our FX businesses, which are FX trading platforms, FX All and FX Matching, as well as responsibility for our investment in TradeWeb, which is the fixed income trading platform that is based in the US. Around the transaction businesses, we also have a number of service businesses. So we have a business called RNS, which puts out regulatory news information. We run a hosting and connectivity business, which allows our customers to connect to our exchange and to our markets. And we also run a business called Issuer Services, which is a business providing augmented services for companies that are listed on our stock exchange, providing them data, providing them benchmarking, providing them research, et cetera, as a service for being listed here on our market. Thank you for introducing us to that perspective. And after an academic background and an initial career in chemical engineering, what led you to the financial markets? And what were the incentives behind the significant changes from derivatives trading in South Africa to numerous senior leadership positions you had at Deutsche Bank and Citi? Well, when I was in chemical engineering in South Africa, it was just at a time where South Africa was opening up post-apartheid. There was a new government in power. And as such, the country was opening up to foreign institutions who were investing in the country and were starting to conduct business in the country. I'd always been interested in subjects that were mathematically related, which is why I did chemical engineering in the first place. And I was made aware of a fledgling derivative business in South Africa. A number of the big banks, and the bank that I'm talking about, the question here was Deutsche Bank, were making investments in the country. And I was offered a job on the newly created derivative desk in Johannesburg, which I took. That lasted for around 18 months to two years while I worked in Johannesburg. And then I was given an opportunity to transfer with Deutsche Bank to the desk in London to continue derivative trading from the London operation. I made that move. I was very interested in being mobile and moving to the UK in 1997 and then stayed within investment banking for most of my career working in derivatives, and then ultimately moving through the equity side of the business, taking roles in other emerging types of trading, portfolio trading, 
synthetic equity trading and then ultimately culminating in management roles in the equities businesses. Thank you for sharing that perspective. And after dedicating more than 15 years of your career to the market sites of the industry-leading investment banks, what then incentivized you to join the London Stock Exchange Group in 2020? And after being with the firm for three years now, what do you love the most about the company and your role? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I loved my time in the investment banking industry, but I felt that as the years went on, the ability to do new things, get involved in new types of areas, was becoming increasingly difficult in investment banks. There's a lot of very appropriate regulation in the very big banks, making acquisitions, making investments into new technologies a little bit more difficult to do. And at the same time, I was watching very closely what businesses like Elseg were doing in the industry. My interest peaked by watching the announcement of Elseg acquiring Refinitiv in 2019. And as I started to follow that more intently, listening to some of the ideas that David Schwimmer, our CEO, was talking about, about how we were going to build a financial services company like Elseg of the future, I became very interested in that. And fortunately, there was an opportunity to join the team after the acquisition was announced, but before the acquisition was closed. I had an opportunity to work with the team in finalizing the closure of that transaction. And then I'm starting to think about how we want a financial services business of the future to look. And I think that's what I love about the job. There's an opportunity for us to really be at the forefront of finance, data, and technology, and provide services for our customers around the world, do new things, get involved in new types of businesses, new types of technologies. And I found that very rewarding and very stimulating. And reflecting upon each transition point in your career, what were the key takeaways from your experiences and the critical skill set that you had developed when moving to a new role? I think something that has stood me in good stead through my career is making sure that you stay curious and you stay on the leading edge of innovation. Through my career in investment banking, I was driven to be involved in the newer areas of finance, be that derivatives and option trading, portfolio trading, synthetic equity trading. As new things were coming out in the market, I wanted to learn about them and be involved in them. And that gave a cadence to my career, which I think suited my personality, suited my curiosity. And so there were natural punctuation points that happened in my career as new technologies and products came out that gave me an opportunity to step through the gears. In terms of what I've taken from each of them, you know, and most of the jobs and roles that I've gone into have been going into relatively nascent spaces rather than very established spaces. And I think in those environments, you have to have a very clear understanding of what your ultimate goal is, set a plan for the achievement of that goal, and then just be very relentless in the execution of that plan, especially in areas where there isn't as well trodden a path. So that's one of the things I've certainly taken that I would recommend people to do, set very clear goals, and then just be totally relentless in the execution of them. Thank you for sharing that amazing perspective. And you have worked on the market side and equities for most of your career. What was the incentive behind choosing the asset class at first? And what do you enjoy the most on working with equities now? Well, you know, if I'm totally honest, there's an element of luck involved in it. And that the first role 
that I was offered in financial services was in equity derivatives. But I guess the reason I stayed in equities and didn't move across to fixed income asset classes or FX asset classes was because I find equities a very interesting part of the financial ecosystem. It's very tangible to me. And the dynamics that drive the equity market are slightly different to the FX market or the fixed income market. That microeconomics has always resonated more with me, how individual companies operate, think. And I've always found it a lot more tangible. Growing up through the equities business, you see the development of companies. We saw things like the internet bubble, the tech boom, ESG, creating companies where there are new technologies and green energy. And I find that element of it very interesting. And so perhaps, and it's obviously a personal view, I find that the equities business has probably got a few more dimensions to it than the fixed income business. I guess that's the reason I stayed. And now let's shift our focus to LSIG. How have the financial downturn in 2022 and the turbulence in early 2023 affected the UK's primary capital market and the capital raising environment? And how did this impact the primary market and securities trading business for LSIG? It's been a very, very interesting two years in financial markets. One of the benefits that LSEG has, having positioned itself diversely over the last number of years, is that our business model as a company is relatively robust. And so overall, we're able to hit and exceed our financial goals through the period. But that said, as I dive into primary and secondary markets, most specifically, we definitely have seen a marked decrease in companies' willingness to come to the market and raise equity capital over the last 18 months or so. We had very, very strong years in 2020 and 2021, but 2022 and 2023 have been significantly lower. Obviously, increasing interest rate environments, increasing inflation environments, and the geopolitical uncertainty that surrounds the Russia-Ukraine war have created a backdrop for quite a nervous environment for people coming to raise capital. And so we've certainly seen that in IPO volumes. What we have also seen, though, is quite strong activity in secondary capital raising. So that is an element of the London Stock Exchange that is perhaps more advantageous than some of the other exchanges out in the world. And I think that's one of the contributing factors that has allowed us to retain our position as the highest capital raising venue here in the European time zone. So it's been tough out there, but our business model has come through. On the secondary side, which is the actual trading of securities, we've noted similar toughness. There's been a decrease in volatility away from some of the very high volatility that we saw surrounding the early stages of the Russia-Ukraine conflict. But since then, we are seeing lower ambient levels of transactions in secondary public equities. And that's one of the reasons why we are looking to work with our regulators and work with our government to increase the competitiveness and the attractiveness of the UK as a place to list securities and to transact securities. We haven't seen quite the same phenomenon in the US and Asia on the secondary trading side. They've had a very, very similar experience to us on the primary side. So the IPO side, the raising of capital has been a global phenomenon, but the secondary trading side has been more robust in both the US and Asia. And we're working very hard to ensure that secondary trading remains very attractive on our markets. Thank you for that perspective. And let's focus on the other side of the business. 
As a globally leading financial data and analytics provider, what are some of the unique and most advanced services LSEC provides to its clients? And what direction is LSEC moving towards and planning to achieve in this area for the next five, 10 years? Well, I think that that is just going back to one of the reasons that incentivized me to join a company like LSEG. I'm very excited about what can be delivered to financial professionals and indeed perhaps past financial professionals to individual citizens by way of financial data and analytics over the next five to 10 years. We believe this wholeheartedly at LSEG. And in fact, you would have seen the strategic partnership that we recently entered into with Microsoft. And that is to bring what we simply think is the best in breed in terms of data, content, and analytics with the best in breed in terms of customer workflows and technology to create products for investment professionals and individual investors alike in time to be able to have high quality, easy to use, quick to access data and analytics for the financial services industry. And when I put on top of that, some of the emerging technologies that are coming out, large language models, generative AI, there are applications to those which really do make significantly enhanced service from the traditional news feed and data content set that we have provided through the years. So very, very exciting space for us to really revolutionize how data is sold and how data is used by the financial services industry. If possible, can you provide us with the project that LSEG is currently working towards? In conjunction with Microsoft, we currently have a product called Workspace, which is an application that allows investment professionals to access news, financial markets data, pricing, charting, analytics, etc. And that product with newer technologies and newer ways of creating or storing and analyzing data, as well as customer experience interfaces, is creating a significantly enhanced version of that, which will be rolled out over the next number of years to investment professionals, a significantly enhanced offering to what we currently have. Also, a completely different way of analyzing and computing financial markets data. The work that we do in our analytics division, again in conjunction with Microsoft, is creating an environment for people to access and consume analytics in a way that they haven't done before. So significantly enhanced user experiences for our desktop products. Thank you for sharing that case. And since 2022, we have seen cases where UK companies that are going public are listing themselves on foreign exchanges, while existing companies on the London Stock Exchange plans to move their primary listing elsewhere. What are the causes of this phenomenon? How is LSEC planning to resolve this problem? And what are the key advantages LSEC has to offer to list its companies compared to other major American and European stock exchanges? We certainly have had that narrative that companies are moving from the UK to the US or choosing to list in the US. And there have been a number of cases. I would also like to balance that to say that over the last number of years, we've seen a lot of cases where US companies, etc., have come to the UK. The London Stock Exchange still remains the biggest exchange in Europe from a capital raising perspective and is the most international in terms of the geographies of countries that list on our exchange. But the point you make is a good one in terms of the competitiveness of the London market, the UK itself. We have recognized and acknowledged this and are working with both the Treasury and our regulator to improve the competitiveness of London as a listing venue. This kicked off a number of years ago already with a review into 
London's competitiveness and the listing rules and the listing regimes. A number of proposals have been passed and a number of changes have already been effected in our markets to make our markets more in line with some of the international peers with whom we compete. And that work continues. Our teams are engaged with both the regulator and the government on a frequent basis, as well as an increasing number of people from within the industry to continue to put forward proposals and suggestions that make London a lot more competitive. We've recently convened an industry task force, which has brought together many different users from asset managers to investment professionals around the city who have all got different experiences of the UK markets, recommending things to government and regulators to see changes and to see proposals for reform. And so we are very confident that these will lead to increased competitiveness. And as we start to see the first signs of positivity on the horizon from an overall climate perspective, we're confident that London will take its share, so to speak, of listings in the future. Thank you for sharing that. And with the boom of private credit, there are arguments that private credit is a bridge for companies in between the economic downturn and going public. While there are other perspectives, I believe that private credit will simply delay companies' timeline of going public and therefore cause the IPO market to remain frozen. What is ELSIC's perspective on this argument? I think what we need to do, and in fact, ELSIC is a global leading exchange in this field, is recognize that companies have got different requirements at different stages in their evolution. And the ultimate goal of every company should not need to necessarily be going public and having an IPO as a big funding event. We have started what we're calling the funding continuum, which is an investment into private markets to allow those companies to have access to both equity and debt capital all through their life cycle, from whether they are a very small private company that serves regional customers, all the way up to the big unicorns that we know as household names. So by providing an environment where companies can raise equity capital and transact private shares in a safe, regulated, and consistent manner, we give companies the opportunity to raise both equity and debt capital throughout their life cycle. But our exchange group, is not thinking about trying to create a path for all companies to list. We often say we want to be the first exchange group that is genuinely indifferent as to whether a company is public or private. And by building out a private markets ecosystem, we're able to facilitate the capital raising of companies as they need it, but not push them towards being public. In terms of private credit bridge being something that stops companies ultimately IPOing, that is very possible. As rates continue to rise, it becomes very difficult and expensive to raise a lot of private credit. But nevertheless, I think all capital raising tools, be it credit or debt, should be at the disposal of companies looking to expand and grow. Thank you for that insight. And finally, what are some of the advice and insights you would like to give to those who are still trying to enter the financial services industry with an unconventional academic background? Well, I think the first thing that I'd say is we are past the time in the financial services industry where an unconventional academic background is a hindrance. And I genuinely believe that. We will see and continue to see a lot of internships and a lot of early career jobs that come from the conventional education areas. 
But as I look around financial services, I see a very diverse academic background. So don't think to yourself, it's no point trying to get into financial services if I don't have a certain academic background. I don't have a financial background. My background's in chemical engineering, which is far away from Wall Street. And yet I've managed to have a successful career in financial services. I think that I would say, try and keep abreast of where the financial services sector is going. With technology, with regulation, with changing consumer preferences, we're seeing a profound change in what financial services means. The intermediation of financial services is being challenged. People are becoming a lot more self-directed. Technology is playing a significant part in the future of financial services. Regulation is playing a very important part. And so my sense is the people that are most in tune with how financial services are evolving are the ones that are going to win in the future. And I think that the inspiring and enlightening thing is it's not necessarily looking backwards that gives you a taste for what the future will look like. It's actually looking at other industries. One of the things that we are certainly seeing in financial markets is more consumerization of the process. Financial markets used to be fairly difficult to interact with, heavily intermediated via asset managers, investment banks, or brokers. We're seeing a lot of those stereotypes broken down and challenged now. People are self-directed in how they execute shares and bonds. People are a lot more financially literate as consumers. And so the model starts to move and feel more like a consumer model than a pure mediated model. And I think that that allows insights from other industries to really shape the future of financial markets. So rather than looking back at financial markets history, I would look forward at where other industries are going as a precursor to where financial markets are going in time. Thank you, Marie, for those inspiring advice and your time here today to share your amazing insights with us. And thank you to our listeners for joining us on this episode. Stay tuned for more content.